Christ Jesus our Lord. And Lord, we claim these promises for all those people who are in this flood-stricken area. And I pray, Lord, that you would manifest your overcoming spirit, your overcoming power, that you'd release your overcoming spirit, your overcoming power, and that you would send deliverance by your hand, even right now, where people are still looking for each other to connect with each other, where there's still people missing that they haven't found, where there's still first responders trying to figure stuff out, where there are people just wandering around staring into darkness, trying to figure out what they're going to do with the rest of their lives, where people are looking for resources. I pray, Lord, for, for uh, thousands and thousands of divine appointments where people who have needs are being connected even right now with people who have just what they need to get them through this day. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them grace to live this day, one day at a time, as you lead them into recovery and restoration. We praise you for your plan that you're putting in motion to deliver them all and give your name glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, I never quite know what to do when it gets to, when it gets to this screen. Um, uh, it just now it's I've lost it. But maybe this is it. I, I'm experimenting. Yes. Well, let's see. Um, it sort of looks connected. Does this look connected? Can you tell? It did. So let's see. Okay. So, oh, one more thing we need to do. I for, I'd forgotten about this this morning. It's one of those things that I don't understand. I, y'all, I have no explanation for this. Completely no explanation for how this happens. Because I am certain that this time last year, almost exactly this time last year, Anna Click was three years old. <laughs> but through but through mysterious forces that, that I can't understand how it works, Anna turns eighteen this weekend. 18, and we're not talking like base two or something like that. We're, this is, this is, 18, uh, and she's got your, your. Uh, I mean, I, um, I don't know anything. I don't know what to do about it. Except just sing her own song. Ready? say this one time, don't let it happen again. Yeah. And, okay, so I'm not saying that there is a correlation. Or there's definitely a correlation. I don't know if there's a causation to be the fact that when Anna was born 18 years ago, Mike had hair. And the fact, just the fact of of dealing with Anna for 18 years completely wiped out all of his hair. 
Uh, I, I, M- M- Nate probably had something to do with that. But anyhow, there you go. So two years ago, I mean two weeks ago, before we had a hurricane, and do y'all just feel like uh, this past week has lasted a really, really, really long time? Yeah, t- two two weeks ago when we when the Holy Spirit interrupted our worship service, and then the hurricane hit last weekend, and it and uh, um. Yeah. Yeah. Um, only the Lord, only God knows the t- time when the when Jesus is returning. But I'm just about ready, and all those people down there are about just about ready. But anyhow, the Holy Spirit did something really phenomenal last two weeks ago, where we uh, 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 he, he reminded us of this word in Second Peter. I mean, First Peter five six. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He might exalt you in due time, at just the right time. And we, and it just He just completely interrupted the whole service, and we started talking about the Lord started dealing with us about uh, some really important things, and for some of us it was we it was liberating. For some of us it was intimidating. Um, but the whole point was, we were looking at, it really came down, humble yourselves means to let God be God. Humble yourself with the mighty, mighty hand of God means to stop trying to run your own life and let God be God. Let God take control over those other things that have been irritating you and annoying you, and frustrating you and scaring you those, as you desperately seek for control to try to make your life work the way you want it to work. He said, humble yourself, let Him be God. He will give, He will make the moves that need to be made at the time when he thinks that they need to be made. So quit telling him what to do and quit trust and start trusting him. Um, give up control, quit complaining, quit making excuses, let God be God, surrender and trust. Those are some of the things. And one of the things that we ended up focusing on was this thing called a victim mentality. Uh, and, um, and, and this is extremely important for us to all understand because we all are tricked into this state of mind at one time or another. A victim mentality that says, uh, when I'm going through something and I'm struggling with something and, and, I, and I, I want what I want when I want it, and I'm not open to anybody, I'm not opening to trusting anybody else, and I'm not open even really to trust God as long as he doesn't seem to be doing what I want him to do. And we, we have these arguments with God. God, you don't understand what I've been through, what they did to me, what they're still doing to me, how awful my past is, how hard my life is. And I can't let it go. I, I, I can't, I don't know how to let it go. And I'm afraid to let go. And I don't want to let go because, I, because God, at this point, I, I, I don't know who to trust or how to trust. I just want what I want. And I, I'm feeling what I'm feeling and I want what I want and I don't know how to get out of this. That victim mentality that says, I can't. I need and I can't because. And, and it was very powerful. And I, just, and I didn't want to go off and, and leave that without a follow-up. And, uh, of course, in the last week we had a hurricane. Best, la- best laid plans of pastors and mice uh, sometimes get blown away by hurricanes. But I don't want to leave this yet because I don't think God is finished with us. So that's... Uh, we, at the end of the service, we went through an exercise of release. I'm renouncing that victim's mentality. I'm releasing control of my life to you, Lord. I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to let God be God in my life. How many of you are in favor of letting God be God in your life? All in favor? Say aye. All right. How many of you have trouble uh, following through on that statement? Say aye. All right. Okay. So... Um, so we can't stop. We need to. I know this is kind of a, a little bit of a side track off of our experience in the Book of Acts, which we'll eventually finish before Jesus comes, maybe. But the, but one of the things uh, that the reason that this connects back to the Book of Acts is one important reason. 
one of the fastest ways that we end up quenching the Holy Spirit in our lives is by giving in to this victim mentality. Because every time we fall into a victim mentality, uh, we start relying on us instead of the Holy Spirit. And whatever it is that, that the power of God wants to accomplish in your life, the wisdom of God wants to accomplish in your life, it just gets cut off right there. It's like shutting the water off. Uh, and so if, if we want to, to walk more consistently in the Holy Spirit, we have to recognize the victim mentality and, and get back to letting God be God in our lives. And that's... Uh, I wonder why it went that way. All right. So but let's go to this next slide, which is this, which I think is not a picture of Rockport. Um, that, uh, this is your big shot, your one shot at demonstrating your uh, insight and experience with biblical archaeology. Tell me what this is a picture of. Well, Chuck's going to win a popsicle here uh, if somebody doesn't come up with a better answer. Um, no, Jericho's, he's right about this being in Jerusalem. So you get partial credit for that. Uh, it's, not, it's not the temple. Um, um, well, you, so you, you just won Chuck's popsicle, but it's still not exactly right. Right. You're right. That's exactly right. So y'all are actually smarter than you think you are. This is the Pool of Bethesda, um, which is the Pool of Bethesda is one of the aqueducts that, that brought water in for storage just towards Jerusalem, in the temple area of Jerusalem. Um, and they've spent a long time digging it up. You can see up there where those, where those handrails are. Uh, and you can see it here too. This street level now, this is uh, where the, the pool is, the, the dugout part down there, that was street level back uh, in the days of Jesus in Jerusalem. Um, and the Pool of Bethesda is important for the story that, that Randy re- reminded us on uh, Wednesday a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to read it back to you. Um, this is from John chapter 5. Once upon a time, John chapter 5. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, which is one of the gates that, through the wall that was surrounding Jerusalem. Uh, uh, in the sheep gate, uh, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having, there was a pool having uh, five porticos or five pillars. This is actually east of Jerusalem, not all the way to the, to the beautiful gate, but east of, the, but it's east of Jerusalem. Uh, and in th- these porches or porticos, lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. They were waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. So sick people lying all around this pool. An angel would come in kind of unannounced. It wasn't like... uh, you know, in Austin, down the Congress Avenue Bridge, there's a time when the bats fly in and out, and it's pretty predictable. That's not this way, the Pool of Bethesda. Nobody knew when the angel was going to come, but the angel would come and somehow stir up the waters, and people would recognize that something was going on. The first person in was healed of whatever sickness they had. So a man was there who had been ill for how long? 38 years. He had been ill with some sickness, which apparently caused him paralysis. Uh, When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? And the sick man answered him and said, Jesus, absolutely. I'm ready to get well. I'm absolutely ready. Let's, Let's get it on. Let's get it well. Let the wellness start. I've been waiting for 38 years. I am sick and tired of living this way. I am ready to be set free. So, Jesus, just whatever you can do, do it now. And I'm ready to be delivered. Hallelujah. No, the sick man answered him. 
I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man became well, and he picked up his pallet, and he hightailed it out of there. Now, there's a, a wonderful story about Jesus healing somebody, right? Even when they're whining, even when they are making excuses. Uh, so now, so what, there's, a, there's a pattern here I want you to look at. Uh, I want you to look at the, what I'm going to call the formula for freedom. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's just a little quick three-step thing we need to figure out. Because uh, here's the pattern that we saw there. Uh, there's, there's a challenge from Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is looking at you right now, looking at me, looking at you. And he's speaking into your life. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Or whatever it is that's paralyzing you. I mean, for some people, maybe it's a physical affliction. But for a lot of us, it's just something that we are sick and tired of waking up sick and tired about. You know that feeling? I'm just so sick and tired of waking up sick and tired of struggling with this thing. So the last thing I think about before I go to sleep is the first thing I think about when I go to bed is whenever... Uh, I can't get any peace about it. I can't get deliverance from it. I'm, I'm sick of this. And Jesus is saying, okay, do you want to get well? Uh, that's the challenge from the Holy Spirit. And he's saying that to each and every one of us. Do you want to get well? Step two, victim excuse. Well, yeah, I'd like to get well, but, but, but. In this case, I have no one to help me, so obviously I can't get well. Things won't change because my definition of what would have to happen for things to change is impossible, and so I'm trapped, and so my life will never be any better, and this will never stop, and I'm going to wake up sick and tired of waking up sick and tired the rest of my life. That's a victim excuse. That's a victim mentality. It means that you are looking for help in the wrong place. Because then Jesus says, get over yourself. Trust me. Get up and move on. Trust me. And get up and move on. Quit telling yourself stories about why you can't get better and why it will never be any better. Trust me. Get your junk together. Get away from the sick people. You don't belong with the sick people anymore. Some, one of the ways, uh, instantly, one of the ways that we keep on reinforcing our victim mentality is because we hang around too much with sick people. So, people who also have victim mentalities. And we get together at our victim mentality club and we keep telling our, each other our victim mentality stories. And we keep saying, yeah, that was terrible. Yeah, you're right, that was terrible. The same thing happened to me. It was terrible to me too. And you, instead of looking for hope, you reinforce the wrong stories. And Jesus says, stop it. Get up. Get out of here. Get away from the sick people. Get away from the people who are helping you stay sick. And trust me and get up and move on. Uh, and Jesus, that force of that command. I mean, think of this. Jesus is standing right here in front of you. And he says, do you want to get well? And that guy says, you're standing in front of Jesus and you're telling Jesus stories about why you can't get well. You're, you're standing in front of Jesus and you're trying to tell Jesus why it's impossible for you to get healed and delivered uh, and, and restored and, and move on in your life with faith and hope and power. You're standing in front of Jesus and telling him stories about why it won't work. And I think... And here's what I think that Jesus didn't do. I don't think Jesus, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I know you've had a hard life. I know that there's been a lot of mean people in your life that did mean things to you. And I'm just so sorry. But I, I'd like to help you if you'd let me help you. And, and I, I'm, I, I'm ready to make you well if you'd like to get well. Would that be, would you like that? Bless your heart. 
I don't think that's what he said. I think he pretty much said, Get up! Pick up your pallet and walk. Get up! Stop doing this! I can understand in the past that bad people may have done bad things or that people that you wanted to help you didn't help you. I can understand your history. But I'm not talking about your history. I'm talking about your destiny. And you are standing here. I am your destiny. Do you want to trust me? Or do you want to keep telling yourself those stories? Get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. And let's move on into your destiny. And stop talking about your history. And he's saying that to you and you and you and you and you and you and me. And everybody over there too. Uh, so here's, here's the mental games we play. Do you want to get well? Of course I want to get well, but... But, but you don't understand. It's too hard. I failed before. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to help me. Jesus, I, I'm the victim here. It's not my fault that I got sick. It's not my fault that uh, somebody owes me something. It's not my fault that somebody betrayed me. It's not my fault that somebody abandoned me. Jesus, I'm the victim here. Uh, and someone owes me. Someone else should come. Someone else should change me. Someone else should come and save me. Someone else needs to come and fix it. I didn't, I didn't cause this. And Jesus, what if I, what if I tried and what if I got my hopes up and, and it, then I failed again? Uh, I don't, what if I don't get what I want or, or what I think I need? I want to catch us up here. Uh, then Jesus says this. I think, here's what I think he's asking anyhow. Jesus says, wait a minute. Do you even want to get well? Do you really want things to change? Do you want to be well? Or do you want to just sit there and keep watching cat videos or, or doing whatever it is that you're doing to make yourself feel better in the short term? I mean, we all get, at this point, we're all bogged down in addictions. What, tell me, what, what's my definition of an addiction? Anything that you do to get a short-term relief in your level of emotional pain. Do you want to get well, or do you want to just keep making excuses and pacifying yourself? Do you want to get well? But I think what he's really saying is, are you willing to be healed? Are you willing and ready to be truly healed? Because if you are, you have to let go of your excuses and and your past shame and your fear about the future. And you just have to trust me. You have to fall into my arms and you have to trust me to to meet those needs that you have been looking to for somebody else to meet instead. To the degree that you've been saying, well, if that person would change, if this situation would change, if if only I could make this happen, then I would be well. No, Jesus is saying the only way you will be well is if you let me make you well. By the power of the Holy Spirit, if you will let me make you well. Now, I said this already, I'll say it again. I'm thinking about emotional and spiritual healing, but it can also sometimes uh, apply to physical conditions as well. But I think he's starting here with the human heart. What's going on in your heart? Are you willing to be well, or are you pretty much just comfortable um, being a victim? So, let's go to this. Victims are ashamed and afraid and paralyzed. And it all comes from fear. Let me give you a couple of things. These two verses that God just popped into my heart as I started talking about this. These are two awesome, amazing, powerful verses, starting with this one. This really made better sense last week because we had picked out you're no longer a slave to fear, but we sang that song last week, and you just have to hum it to yourself now. Uh, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. The King James makes it, the King James Version gets more to the, you are no longer in bondage to fear. Uh, You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. 
Paul is saying, I've got some good news for you. Sin doesn't have any power over you, and fear doesn't have any power over you. You are not enslaved to those anymore. You can look forward with confidence. You can look forward. You can't look forward to me meeting needs in your life that you were never able to meet on your own because I am delivering you, listen to this, I am delivering you from the spirit of fear and giving you instead the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Right, you need to turn around to somebody right now and you need to say, hey, you are no longer a slave to fear. And start with, hey, 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 you're no longer a slave to fear. Hey, you are no longer a slave to fear. See, the, the, vic- the victim mentality, the victim mentality says, I'm a slave. The victim mentality says, I'm a slave uh, to this thing that's been eating my lunch all my life and I don't have any control over it. And Jesus says, no, you're not. No, you are not. You think the longer you keep telling yourself you are, the more you're going to stay there. But no, you're not, you're not, you are not a slave to fear anymore. Sin doesn't have any power over you. Fear doesn't have any power over you because I have adopted you. And, and, and my adoption of you as my 100% official child, join here with Jesus, means that the entire, listen to this, The entire resources of heaven are at your disposal to set you free of anything and everything that's holding you back. The thing that's holding you back is that you still think you're a slave to fear because you're still telling yourself those old victim stories. So, um, because you're you're his child, you're not a slave anymore. You are his child. You've been set from that. You've been set free from that. Okay, so let's ha- this is how it walks out. Uh, I love this. This is uh, John four fifteen through 18. So this is, we could preach this for a month. So, but I'm, I backed up to verse 15 because we need to get the context. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. All right, so. If you've confessed, if you've agreed, if you've declared, if you've accepted Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then God is living in you, and you are living in God. I don't know where you think you're, you're living. I don't know where it feels like you've been living. But if you are, are a, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are living in God, and God is living in you. That's where this all starts. That's the foundation. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Now, this is where the whole thing breaks down. This is where the victim mentality gets a hold of us, gets its foot on our neck, gets the noose around our neck, and starts squeezing life out of us. Because, um, I jumped all the way over here. I don't want to go there. Oh, that's cute. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, um. The victim mentality keeps saying you aren't enough and you'll never be loved. Because if I was really loved, my life wouldn't stink like it does. If I was really loved, these bad things wouldn't be happening to me. If I was really loved, then people would be nicer to me. If I was really loved, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Jesus says the first thing you have to understand, you have to believe the love which God has for us. And not just pay lip service to it, like, yeah, yeah, I know, Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins, and he loves me, and, and one of these days it will all be better. When I get to heaven, then I'll be loved. But right now my life stinks, and it's not fair, and I don't like it. No, Jesus loves you right now. And Jesus is making the resources of heaven available to you right now. But we get so comfortable in our victimhood that we don't see the connection that the love of God can set you free from this situation that you are dealing with and have been dealing with for however many years you've been dealing with it. I don't even know. I know mine. I don't know yours. Uh, But the love of Jesus can start to set you free from that. But it starts, listen, it starts when you let God change your heart. 
You spend all your time saying, God changed this, God changed this, God changed this, God changed them, God changed them. Make them stop. And, and you'll, that's the victim attitude, and you will stay that way forever. Yet it starts when you say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to let you love me and change me. I'm going to stop focusing. Right now I choose to stop focusing on all that stuff out there. And I'm going to look at the healing that's staring me right in the face right now. Jesus, please change me. Because the reality is this. The person that's keeping you in prison is you. The person that's keeping you in prison to all those things that you wish were different is you. I'll give you some more about that in a minute. So we've come to know and have believed. Everybody knows Jesus loves me, right? Jesus loves me, this I know. But that's not the singing about it. It's not the same as surrendering to him and letting Jesus loves you. Letting Jesus... Just surrendering to the reality that if nothing else in the world around you changed, being loved by Jesus would be enough. And I, I know some of you are saying, yeah, but how does that help me with all these other problems I have? Until Jesus is enough, and until you're willing to let him be enough and let him do whatever he wants to do next, you're just keeping yourself in bondage. So I've come to believe the love which God has for us. God is love. The one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. It's, we could go back to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, where, where Paul is praying desperately, I just wish you could understand the love of God. I wish you could know what it means to be loved by God. I'm praying that you would understand the height and the depth and the breadth and the width and all that it means to be loved by God, but you don't. And I'm praying that somehow, supernaturally, you would because it will change your life. But you don't want it to change your life. You want to stay a victim. Because it's easier than having scary faith and trusting God to do what he wants. By this, love is perfected with us. Oh, gosh, look at this. We could preach on this for so long. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. You know who you, you most resemble in this world right now? In God's eyes, you know who you most resemble? Jesus. That's your potential. As he is, so also are we where? In this world. I'm, I'm, nobody would be more excited to me than me if Jesus came back right now and cut this sermon off before it dragged out any longer. But um, the truth is that we are, As he is, so also are we in this world now. We don't have to wait for heaven. We are loved as much now as we will be when we get to heaven. We are as safe now as we will be when we get to heaven. We are as delivered now as we will be when we get to heaven. We have the potential to be to bust out of prison right now and not have to wait till Jesus comes back. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. So, so they've got two key words here, fear and punishment. Uh, punishment is, is kind of the same thing as, as judgment. It's, it's, coming, it's the, the penalty that you pay for com- that, that is exacted upon you for coming under judgment. But uh, there's no fear. Perfect love means means love that has had its full and complete result in you. Um, This word in Greek means a perfect um, action brought to its fullest uh, conclusion. So, So when we actually surrender to the love of Jesus, there's no more room for fear. No more fear of the past, no more fear of the future, no more fear of punishment, no more fear of judgment. The one who fears, this is a pretty interesting, people usually stop here. They, 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 they start with there's no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear, but they don't finish the rest. The one who fears is not perfected in love. This means the one who's controlled by fear has not yet fully, perfectly understood what it means to be deeply loved of God 
fully accepted by God, completely, permanently forgiven by God, etc., etc. God just wants us to let go of excuses and let him love us and trust him and be set free. Now, you've, you've all heard the, the parable, haven't you, about the monkey and the gourd, whatever this is, a coconut, I guess. The monkey trap. In Southeast Asia, there's a monkey trap. You put food, you hollow out a coconut or a gourd, and you put food for the monkey inside of it. And then the monkey reaches down to grab it, and he grabs that food and he wants it. But what happens to the monkey when he reaches out and grabs the food? He can't get out. So it means he can't get away. So that means you can catch. He won't let go. He won't let go. He won't let go of something that he thinks he needs. Which makes him vulnerable to all sorts of traps and tricks and disasters. Okay, so let me tell you a little quick story, then we'll be done. Um, I've been struggling, I don't know for how long, with, uh, so you know that for years and years and years and years and years and years and years, uh, 13 years, to be exact, a little over, I've I've been a bivocational pastor. Does anybody know what a bivocational pastor means? Yeah, it means I have another job uh, that pays most of the bills. And... This job was something that got, that was God sent at the right time in a, in a very important part of the time in my life. And God has used it in amazing ways to teach me stuff and has allowed me to connect with people all over the world. Uh, and allow me to to actually be right in the middle of major corporate situations uh, and have an impact on corporate culture at some of, of uh, America's largest, largest corporations, you know, Fortune 500 companies. Um, but my heart has always been to just be in full-time ministry. That's where my heart has always been. And, and the longer this job went out, dragged out, the more miserable and frustrated and miserable and frustrated I got. And finally in January, because of some things that uh, happened with some pension funds that I had from years ago, I was able to go part-time uh, so I could give more, more attention to doing ministry here. And the arrangement that I had with this, corp- with this company was I was just going to work 10 hours a week. Um, it would be, not, be nice to have just a little bit of extra money to bridge me through till my Social Security kicks in. Uh, and I also wanted to be there for my, you know, my son-in-law and my daughter-in-law or the other two people on my team that I managed. And I didn't want to just go off and manage and, and abandon them because... The company is changing. It's more stressful. It's more crazy. I, I can't even, I can't even, uh, you don't need to know all that stuff except to say it's not nearly as much fun to work for that company as it used to be. I didn't want to just go off and leave them by themselves. Uh, but it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Uh, and I was just crying out to God, Lord, make it stop. Make it stop. Um, and God, I, uh, can you do something to fix all this? And God and I had lots of arguments about it. Um, and my stress level is going up and my blood pressure is going up. Um, and uh, it's just more and more unpleasant and more and more frustrated. I, there's, there's unrelenting deadlines. Let's put it this way. Unrelenting deadlines working for unreasonable people. How many of you know what that feels like? Unrelenting deadlines working for unreasonable people. Um, and they're having problems. And their full-time job is to make their problem your problem. <laughs> how many of you... Uh, um, how many of you have ever heard this phrase? Uh, I don't think you understand that a failure to plan on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. Uh, that doesn't work when you're, when you're working with Fortune 500 companies. They pay us lots of money to rescue them from their own bad planning. Uh, so, so, so it's just become more and more unpleasant. And harder to work with customers. 
and harder to work with other people in the company who are um, who just um, were not were not aligned in terms of how to solve problems. And I was just crying out to God one day, and we started and we started this series. And uh, you remember that day two weeks ago when God started dealing with all of us about our victim mentality. And I went home and I was, I was, this was the first thing that popped up of this job that's just, just stealing my joy. Even, even at, well, so one thing I found out is that I can't work just two hours a week. I mean, two hours a day. It's just not possible because the, there's, because of what's going on in the company, it's all happening too fast. And inevitably, two hours turns into three hours, turns into four hours because you're trying to fix somebody else's problem and fix an emergency. And you can't dump it on John and Amy because they're already up to here. Um, and I'm just going, God, please do something about this. Um, and I was praying and crying that out, and God revealed to me. The only reason you're stuck here is because you have a victim mentality. What, what, are, your, what are your two excuses that you use to still be stuck in this job? Well, excuse number one is because I still need a little, a little bit of money to make it through Social Security time. Um, and... And I don't want I don't want to abandon John and Amy because they don't deserve to be stuck there by himself. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to me, said, well, first of all. Um, you do have enough money to get through if you're willing to trust me. Again, I have some money in savings. It's not a lot of money, but it's enough. Um, it's enough, um, especially if I'm willing to trust God to meet my needs instead of looking at that little 401k and saying, you know, thank God I have that 401k because, well, you know what? Uh, you can just start with trusting God. And God could say, I've already supplied what you need to get by financially. It's just sitting right there. You can either spend it five years from now or you can spend a little bit of it now. So, so don't say you don't have the money because you do. It's just the fear of spending the money, and then it'd be some of it would be gone. And then what would I do? Oh no, I'd have to. Oh no, then I'd have to trust God. Uh, and the, and the other thing he said was, John and Amy are grown-ups, and they are consummate professionals, and you have trained them well to do their jobs, and. They don't need you to protect them anymore. They can make their own decisions, uh, and they can manage their own lives. You, you don't, they don't need you to fix them. And that's the truth. It was the absolute truth. Uh, I had been letting my victim story keep me trapped into a situation that was just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And I was saying, God, this is getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And God's saying, yeah, but it's your own fault. I've already provided. I mean, I've parted the Red Sea. I've sent you a helicopter. It's up to you. So I called John and Amy on Monday and told them I was quitting. Uh, and then I called my boss on Tuesday, and I told him my last day would be the end of this month, end of September. Uh, and it's done, and it's over with, and that's... I got one more ridiculous project to finish between now and then. I'm going to be working like every day. Peggy said, aren't you... Happy now that you made the decision. I said, I will only be happy once I'm not working anymore. Uh, because between now and then, I've got a huge project for SAP that has to be finished by September the 27th. Um, so, but anyhow, the revelation for me was that God had opened the door. God had already prepared and uh, the way for me to be delivered. But I just kept telling myself that story over and over again about why I was trapped. I was just like 
this little monkey up here. I, you know, I'm trapped and I don't know what to do. I'm trapped, bonk, bonk. I don't know what to do. All you have to do is let go of the stuff that's keeping you trapped. Let go of the stuff. Let go of your victim story. Let go of, your, uh, of all of your reasons why it could never really get better. Uh, all those things that you're telling yourself and surrender to God. Let God guide you to the next step. And I don't, I don't know what victim story you're telling yourself. But I know, I know that there are certain areas where we tell ourselves. We tell ourselves how we wish it would be, and then we turn right around and tell ourselves the reasons why it will never change. Uh, instead of saying, God, show me what you want to do about this. And God, I'm trusting you to deliver this and fix it. Uh, and I want your solution, not mine. That's the beginning. Instead of holding all these crummy little seeds in the gourd, in the coconut, I want to let go of those things that I thought were my idea. And God, I'm willing to do whatever it is that, that you want me to do and let you guide me. So let's bow our heads. First of all, I want you to be clear. And I know that you've been listening to the sermon the whole time and you've already figured out what your victim story is. I know you have. And you're still wrestling with it. You're still thinking, yeah, but... But it, it just can't, it can't be that easy because this is hard and it's been this way my whole life or whatever. Anyhow, you're already, you're already saying, yes, of course that makes sense. And yes, that's what I want. But it can't, but, but well, stop doing the butt part. Just butt out of the butting. Um, and just start with, God, I see now that I, I have been telling myself a victim story. And I repent of that in Jesus' name. Can you at least do that? Can you at least acknowledge? Can you at least humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and repent? Just repent and say, Lord, please forgive me for telling myself this victim story over and over and over again. Gosh, victim stories are very, they serve a good purpose. They, they, they take away from us any sense of responsibility that we, can, we should ever do anything to try to make things better. They freeze us. They paralyze us. So that needs to be repented of. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I repent for all the ways and all the times that I have let my victim story paralyze me from doing things that could have set me free. Can you do that much? I'll, I'll give you 30 seconds to do that because that's all it should take. Just you and Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the spirit of repentance that you're just releasing all around this room right now. And now say this. If, if you're ready to move on, because, because the Holy Spirit is standing here right now and he's saying, do you want to get well? Ask yourself this question and be 100% honest. Do you want to get well? Because if, if you don't want to get well, Fine. But just don't keep telling other people your victim story. If you're happy with your victim story, keep it. Just don't go around telling it to anybody else. Because the secret is, there's probably a way out, but it involves you letting go of your victim story. But if, if Jesus is standing here right now and he's saying, do you want to get well? And if the answer is yes, just, just say yes. Don't try to figure out what comes next. Just say yeah, yes, 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 I w yes, 
Jesus, yes, I want to get well. Yes, I don't want to live like this anymore. So he's asking you that question. I'll give you 10 seconds. All should take. Say yes or no. All right. Yes, God. Yes, God. Last step. Jesus, I am trusting you to be God in this situation and change me so that I can trust you and obey you in whatever you want to do next. Let's do this again. Yes, Jesus, I want to be well. And right now I surrender this to you and I give you permission to change me in any way that I need to be changed so that I can follow you in whatever you want me to do. One more time. Yes, Jesus. I give you permission to change me so that I can then follow you in whatever way you want to lead me next. Okay, Lord, you've heard these prayers. You've heard these prayers. In Jesus' name, you've heard these prayers. We don't want to be cripples anymore, Lord. We want to be set free. It's scary, but that's only because we haven't figured out how much you truly love us and how you've already paved the way to our deliverance. Lord, I, I'm so grateful that you, you had prepared this moment for me to, to say, uh, to write my resignation. And the, the provisions were already there, and I'd just been too blind to see them. I thank you, God, for being there for each and every other person in this room who's prayed that prayer today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.